Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the BJJ Brick Podcast. This is episode 231. Today we have Michael Hunter. He is from the Eternal Cup Series. It's a jiu-jitsu tournament who wants to give uh, cash prizes to winners of the tournament uh, from white belt to brown belt. So uh, the first few tournaments are going to be in Texas. So check those out if you're anywhere near that area. We've got a great episode. We've got a great quote and a fun article. I have uh, My name is Byron, and I have Gary and Joe. And Gary and Joe just got done with their couple's pottery class. They made a beautiful face, and the music was just right. Uh, gentlemen, how are, what are you guys going to do with this face? Well, what we were talking about, we had to make the vase, you know, with a really, really big opening because uh, <laughs> and, and a really big, you know, vase part, whatever you'd call that, because we're going to put it over your head ah. uh, because uh, we're sick of looking at you. So <laughs> that's why we did it. I didn't know where you'd go with that. And uh, you save money. And, you know, you guys aren't a couple. We should say that. But you guys you guys are always looking for the best possible deal. So by saving up, signing up for the couples class, you got to save you know, half price. Well, we're really always looking for deals. That's why we started the BJJ Brick Podcast. It's free unless you're uh, – it does not cost you anything to listen to us. You know, so it's another good deal. But if you do want to help out the BJJ Brick Podcast, check out our link to Patreon. Our Patreon people, uh, we could not run this show without you guys. You support us each and every show, and you know we are so internally grateful to that. And we have a link to uh, Patreon right there on the website, so uh, just check it out if you'd like to throw a little support our way. Yep, and a variety of prizes will come your way. Just an FYI for the listeners, if you're thinking about using this ploy to get a good deal, Keep in mind that if you present yourself as a couple, you might have to do some things to sell that idea. And by the way, Gary, <laughs> your hands sweat a lot. Yeah, when me and Joe walk in, you know, normally uh, we got our hands in each other's back pockets. Not our own back pockets, the other person. And, uh, you know, kind of like Fast Times at Richmond High. But uh, <laughs> it, it works well. It works well. We, we're good at selling it, you know. And it's, it's something you have to have those acting skills to be on the mat. You know, you think sometimes somebody's got you in a choke and, and you're trying to, and it's deep. You have to pretend like it's uh, not deep, you know, if you want to get out of it. You pretend like it's it's not affecting you at all. Pretty soon they, they go for something else and you're out. So uh, Joe and I are pretty good actors. We even act like we like you, Byron. And that's some tough acting. <laughs> Ten acting. <laughs> uh, well, that's some good medicine there as well. Uh, we don't have any medicine for you, but we do have a sponsor that can help you uh, with your uh, saving money and uh, with your life insurance. We have Health IQ. If you think about, as simple as I can put it, if you think about car insurance that gives you a discount rate for taking care of the way you drive and driving safely, Health IQ is that for life insurance. You take care of your body, you do jiu-jitsu, you eat healthy, uh, you do these great things for your body on and off the mat. They, they will reward you with saving money. And 56% of the customers that have health IQ save between 4 to 33% on their life insurance. Uh, and that's the, the basic idea is they have healthy clients and, and they sell them a really good rate on their life insurance. Yeah, and you won't know if you qualify for uh, what rates you qualify for unless you go check them out. So go to healthiq.com, uh, take their quiz, 
look into their product and see what kind of uh, special rates you might qualify for. Yep, and then they also take into account other physical activities that you do. Uh, they have lots of people that are running, weightlifting, uh, cycling, just general overall fitness. And it's nice that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is getting recognized as something that they, yeah, these people are very healthy. Look, they have, uh, they, they tend to die a little bit older is basically what they're looking at uh, as because we live healthy lifestyles. And so why not pay uh, less for your life insurance? So check out the link down below. They seem to die a little bit older. I like that. <laughs> Byron, Byron, you did a good job of explaining that. Uh, and I think it's because you're pretty familiar with the subject matter. And that reminds me of a quote. If you can't describe what you're doing as a process, you don't know what you're doing. W. Edwards Deming said that. How does that uh, relate to jiu-jitsu, Byron? Man, that's, uh, that's interesting. A lot of times in jiu-jitsu especially in the earlier uh, stages of grappling, we're told to do things. And you know, a lot of it is just trusting your, your coach and trusting your training partners and you do them. But after a little while, you have to kind of understand the why behind you, why you're doing certain things. Why am I shrimping and moving my hips out? Uh, why am I holding your arm or, or twisting your head this way? And if you could describe the why, you obviously you have a deeper understanding of the process. And it's it, the, it, if, if you know that, it'll then allow you to kind of bend and mold the rules to your own game a little bit as well. So I think that, I mean, that's kind of a understanding of why certain things work. Uh, it's an interesting quote. You know, if you can't describe what you're doing as a process, uh, then you don't really know what you're doing. So try to define what you're doing on the mat as a process. Like, like what are my steps to success on the mat? If your ultimate goal is to get... Uh, a rear naked choke on somebody describe the steps to this process that would lead up otherwise you're just going to roll the dice and hope they end up getting their back somehow uh, which may happen but if you have a okay here's what I'm going to do take down guard pass to to a side control that they kind of turn their shoulder away from me and I'm going to get their back from there in the transition I will get my arm underneath their neck and end it with a rear naked choke that's the process and of course the more description you could add the more detail that you know about it. Yeah, I like that. Uh, being able to, to describe it is evidence that you're familiar with the uh, technique. But I think you can also reverse engineer this a little bit too. And if you're trying to understand a technique or a position better, spend some time talking through it with a friend. You know, get together and discuss uh, the steps of the uh, technique and and like Byron said, why you're doing each step. And, and the more you talk about it, the more you'll understand it. And that will pay on the mat dividends. You know, Joe, that's a, that's a really great idea there. I think when I first started, people would show me an arm bar and I would just drill the arm bar over. Uh, people would show me a side control escape. You know, they'd tell me to put my hand here, put my hand there, you know, shrimp my hips, whatever I need to do. And I would do it and, you know, get a get an escape or, you know, I would do what they told me to do and get an arm bar. But I really didn't know what I was doing, if that kind of makes sense. I just knew the steps to do the move. You know, I knew step one, step two, step three, step four. And, you know, by talking with people, you know, I would start learning 
you know, hey, this is why I put my hand here, you know, to staple his body to the ground. This is why, you know, I shrimp my hips out to give me space where I can pop up on, on, my, on my knees and get a single leg, you know, to, to get a sweep. And, you know, I, I thought I knew a lot, you know, I'd hit these submissions, but really I had no clue what I was doing. And by talking, by watching some videos, you know, Ryan Hall videos really helped me out a lot because he is really going depth to explain stuff. But that really helped me see the process and why the why is I'm doing stuff instead of, you know, I used to just think it was cool. Hey, I got a submission. Had no freaking clue what I was doing. <laughs> but yeah, but now as I, you know, started talking about it, started you know, analyze it in depth, you know, everything made sense and why I did this. And by talking with other individuals, you know, maybe I'd find another little trick that I missed, you know, kind of like what Joe was saying, talk it out. And uh, that was one thing that really helped me understand the why and, you know, instead of just the move. Yeah, it just, it just kind of takes your mind out of sit in class, absorb it and try it. And to really Learn it as a student. I think that's a big deal. And we could do that any stage. That's a, that's a good quote. Gentlemen, I'm really excited to announce uh, or to talk about the BJJ Brick event. This is a first-time thing for us, June 23 and 24. So that's a weekend. We would love it if any of you guys can make it to Wichita, Kansas for that. You're going to have a great time. Come in early for the group uh, pedicure on Friday. <laughs> yep. And me and Joe will show you how to act to get the uh, specials. But, you know, I have had, had a couple of people ask me because it's called the BJJ Brick event. And a couple of people asked me, no, we are not going to throw bricks at you. I think a l- couple of people are afraid of that. What we're going to do is uh, Friday night is open mat if you can make it on Friday night. Uh, Saturday, we're going to have Tim Sled and Rolly Delgado with a seminar. A uh, great time to previous guests we've had on the show two really knowledgeable people and then uh saturday we're gonna you know get on the mat we're gonna do some social activities and uh joe was talking about uh you know uh maybe some haircuts in a spa day <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah we don't know how this will spiral saturday is kind of like uh beaches your brick day as far as what we want to do i think i want to show some head and arm uh chokes and some details on that that have really helped me. I was trying to think of all the things that I've learned over the years. What is a little bit different, and what would I like to share? And I, I like head and arm chokes from side control, and I do it in a way that never neck cranks anybody, and it is really tight. And uh, I think I, I want to share that with you guys. And, and of course, we'll be filming all lots of stuff and, and putting it on our YouTube channel and trying to – we'll probably do some live things as well for those who can't make it down. It's going to be a great time. Uh, get with us. Email us in advance, bjjbrick at gmail.com. Let us know if you're interested in coming, especially if you're from out of town, even if you're in town, and let us know what you want to do. We might be doing a live recording of an episode. If we do that, we'll do a, an episode, and we'll have some maybe some Q&A from the audience. That would be kind of a, a challenging but interesting thing as far as a technical side of things is, is getting us all together and, and doing that. But that's an option. Of course, we have to eat meals, and uh, you know, my weekend is, I wipe that weekend free, so uh, I'll eat meals with you guys, that'd be, that'd be fun, so we'll find places to eat and show you around town. Lots of stuff going on, and, and we're figuring out what kind of gifts we can give our out-of-town travelers, uh, as far as uh, stuff, you know, like different DVDs that we have, and, and that sort of thing. And uh, mentioned before, uh, Patreon supporters, if you're able to get here, guys, it's on us, the uh, the cost to, to join this weekend, the seminar, 
Um, there you go. It, it's on us. But we have to say this is the original Patreon supporters. So I'm going to list them real quick here. Gudrun, Craig, Nathan, Ramos, Keith, David S., David W., Mindy, Mark, Brad, Rob, BJJ Brick fan. I don't know your name, but there you are. I guess that's Tim. I see that in your email address. And then Greg. Those are the original uh, supporters. You guys, if you get here, it's on us, my friends. Yep, and don't forget our latest supporter who came in last week, uh, Donald T. Uh, looks like he's from uh, Washington D.C. So uh, he's he's welcome also. Well, the door's open to everybody. Guy. I've seen that guy grapple. I've seen footage of him in the ring before. So he's and it's a, not pretty. <laughs> yep. Hey, but just because you weren't an original uh, Patreon supporter and don't qualify for this freebie, don't let that stop you from supporting us. If you feel like it, there'll be other events down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. This is just one little bonus that we're able to give those people. Yep, and maybe we'll even play Pin the Tail on the Byron. Yeah, we'll see what we could do. Maybe we'll mace Gary and see if he could grapple while he's uh, totally incapacitated. Incapacitated? Decapitated. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I get caught in another one of your head and arm jokes, I probably will be decapitated. (laughs) Oh, man. So this week, our interview is with Michael Hunter, and he's talking uh, with us about uh, the Eternal Cup series. I want to say a couple things before we get started here. This is the first style of this interview that we're doing. It's a sponsored interview. uh, The Eternal Cup series is sponsoring this episode, and that's just... A way to to show that they're serious and and to support the show at the same time talking to you guys and I talked with him about this like I don't want this to be a hour long commercial straight up for the Eternal Cup series and you'll find that it is not if you look back over the past twenty or so episodes several of them have been people that came on and had great conversations and they were also promoting something and that's what really was happening here Michael's promoting the Eternal Cup series it's a new idea as far as tournaments and and a reward system towards the, the athletes. Uh, but he's also supporting the podcast at the same time. So uh, let us know what you think. I don't think anybody will have a problem with this, and if you look back and look at the last dozen or so episodes, uh, one or two of those probably could have also been a sponsored episode, and it wouldn't have changed the content at all. It's just uh, it's just the, the way that some people are supporting the show uh, other than Patreon. <laughs> because Patreon has been a huge help. It's actually saved the show uh, earlier uh, on, and uh, but we're trying to grow this thing, and we need to find other sources for that. So I really help. Really grateful that Michael did this, and uh, really happy to help promote him and and uh, his tournament circuit. So uh, you guys, it's a great interview. Yeah, it's a win-win yeah. situation. I mean, uh, he brought some good quality content. It's going to be entertaining, informative. Uh, he gets to promote his product, and the BJJ Brick gets a little more support. And that'll allow us to bring a better product to the listener. So it's a win situation all the way around. Yeah, and definitely uh, check out the link. And, uh, you know, if you're looking to compete, uh, register for his tournament. You know, as Byron said, there's a chance to win some cash prizes. Everybody likes cash. Cash is king. Here we go with the interview. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. His daily Heva guard was so strong that his opponent's mom fell over. He has never gotten mat burn, but sometimes you can find burn marks on the mat. Neil Armstrong watched him roll and said it was the most amazing experience of his life. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. 
stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Michael Hunter to the BJJ Break podcast. Michael, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. You are the founder of the Eternal Cup series, uh, a new idea and uh, kind of a design on how uh, your tournament is being ran. I think we've got a lot of inter- interesting things to talk about today. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Brian. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, happy to have you here. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your yourself a little bit. Introduce yourself to the audience, could you, Michael? Uh, well, I'm Michael Hunter. Um, I'm the owner of Pureland Jiu-Jitsu here in Bryan, Arkansas. Uh, I've been practicing Jiu-Jitsu since 2008, and I've been practicing Judo since 2001. Uh, I'm a third-degree black belt in Judo and a four-tip brown belt in Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I'm just an average Joe like everybody else out here. <laughs> I, I've, I've run uh, an academy out here, and uh, again, I just I do exactly um, – what everybody else in the country does as far as jujitsu who loves it is just open up your own academy and hope that uh, people show up and come through and um, enjoy what you teach. How long have you been doing that? Uh, this makes our first year, actually. We've been open since March of last year, but we were actually uh, licensed as a business here in Arkansas in December of 2016. So, uh, in December of 2018, this year, uh, make our second year as an official business. But we've been open since March of last year. I think that you, you kind of hit hit something that uh, a lot of people think about is, yeah, what would it be like to start my own gym and, and, and how would that work? What was that first year like? Uh, any major surprises? Any any big hurdles in in running your own academy there? Um, I just, I'll tell you like this, it's hard. It's truly, truly hard because you have to be all things to everyone. You have to be an instructor. You have to be a businessman. You have to be the bill payer, the accountant. You have to be able to say no. You have to be able to stick by your nose. You have to take the disappointments as long uh, as, as well as the, uh, congratulatory, uh, statements from everyone, you have to deal with all of the haters and all the congratulators all at the same time. And it's so hard to do it um, consistently every day. It's not the first day. It's not the second day. It's the fifth, 50th, 60th, 90th day that people are consistently keep barraging you with these things. Hey, we need to do this. Hey, you need to do that. Hey, I'm going to come up. I'm going to come up to your academy and never show up. Uh, it's, uh, Hey, um, let me do this and let me do that. And you're just like, okay, guys, I'm worn down. I don't know what else to do with you. And, but you can't say that you just have to keep pushing. So it's just something that if you really love what you do, you're going to stick by it. And it's only for the people who love it. Um, and that is the only advice I could possibly give you. You're going to have to love it. You're going to have to love every moment of being kind of under the microscope every single day. Um, and if you can do that, you can survive your first year like I have. Wow. It, it's similar. If you love jiu-jitsu, you're going to survive and do well. If you... Uh, could learn how to enjoy the process of owning a gym and and take all those ups and downs and 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 do that with a smile on your face. Uh, you'll survive <laughs> as well. 
But uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like you know getting getting smashed and then ultimately choked for four minutes, yeah. and it's like, yeah, I'm still smiling. <laughs> it could be a little like, rough, but it. uh, it's, you know, you need to have a good time at the same time. Yeah, you're like, I can take it, I can take it, and you're in your heart of hearts, you're like, oh, that was bad. That, that was, was really bad. bad. <laughs> <laughs> this is miserable. Uh, maybe next time I'll be dishing it out instead. Um, so you're starting a uh, a pro jiu-jitsu tournament uh, circuit. Describe this uh, a little bit, how it, like I guess how it works. Um, well, it's quite simple. Like anything that's professional, uh, what we are trying to do is basically bring pro jiu-jitsu to the jiu-jitsu community, but not just as sporadic tournaments, like one or two tournaments, or you had to be invited because you're some big name out there. This is for all color belts, and we don't have any black belts uh, divisions just of yet. We're working on that, and that's something special that we would like to see uh, later on down the line. But it's open to all color belts from white to brown. Uh, and for kids uh, all the way up until their 17 years of age. Um, and what we're trying to do is bring uh, financial support to athletes so that they can train full time. We believe that by uh, doing this and, and making it such that it's uh, financially feasible for athletes to actually sustain training, that they can go best be able to go out and open their own academies. They can best go out and push for jujitsu worldwide. I think that without financial support, uh, the jujitsu community is not going to come into its own um, maturity, uh, like judo, for, for instance, there. If you look at uh, judo, uh, their top athletes uh, in the world are all supported financially by the national governing bodies. And when you're talking about being supported in the national governing bodies, the base salary for most of those guys is $30,000 a year. Well, that's pretty decent if you got a little run room flat and uh, you eat modestly and so on and so forth, and you're able to just um, wing it there, $30,000 is a lot of money. Uh, it's more money than most people work at a nine-to-fiver there. Uh, also, training expenses are offset by it as well because they can go to um, Olympic-style uh, judo centers. They travel around the world. They take uh, seminars. They get expert uh, training by expert um in like specialists, basically guys who specialize in particular techniques, they can able to seek their counsel and get them on their team and actually train them up for the next uh, Grand Prix World Championships, um, Continental uh, Tournament or anything like that. But that's all due to the fact that they are financially supported. Uh, with jiu-jitsu, we haven't gotten to that point yet. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're not able to make a full pitch to go into uh, the Olympics or anything like that because you don't have full-time jiu-jitsu athletes that are traveling the world and bringing new eyes to this sport. Uh, we're captivating people. We're fast-growing uh, martial arts, but as a sport, we need to grow our audience 
bigger and bigger and bigger and force the Olympic committees to look at us. And I think the way to do that is by supporting these athletes financially. So we designed a uh, tournament circuit that would actually go around the United States in hopes of giving athletes money to uh, be able to make a substantial living. If they were to travel to, say, 10 or 12 cities and let's say they're good enough, well, that would be somewhere about the twenty dollars or $30,000 right there. And if they were placing and winning consistently there, they would make a pretty penny doing that. And uh, forgive me, I don't really know the numbers there, but if you did it often and you placed often enough and with the bonuses for placing in the top 10 uh, in the country and the bonuses for winning or placing at the Grand Prix, you know, there's a pretty penny in all of that. So you'll be able to uh, support yourself financially and uh, still be able to train. Uh, the goal is to be able to start to take athletes from working a nine to five to just doing nine to five jujitsu. So if the athletes were good enough, then we could start to uh, up those uh, prize money and those winning stairs for people who place. And we can start to make a better and better tournament circuit out of that and be able to still support the lower belts, which eventually will be the black belts that we will be looking at uh, when we start up the black belt divisions. So you have white through brown and uh, they basically get uh, a certain amount of money for getting first place. Uh, is there money for second and third or how does that work? Uh, yes, everybody who places gets money. Uh, you have three places, first, second, and third. Uh, the thing about third place is it's in a repercharge. So repercharge um, is basically uh, where we say a worthy competitor. A worthy competitor at any tournament is always an individual that makes it to the quarterfinals. So anybody who makes it to the quarterfinals and beyond – uh, is a worthy competitor except for the championship match, which will determine first and second. So quarterfinalists will face off. So there's four losers in that quarterfinal, and they will square off. The winner of those will face the losers of the semifinals, uh, and the winners of that match will go on to fight for third place, which gives you a cash um, prize or uh, scholarship money, depending on if you're in the kids and teens division or the adult division. So uh, with that said, Roth, that you're getting both. Um, you're getting two opportunities if you make it to the quarterfinals uh, and lose. So you're getting another opportunity to actually come out in place, although you may have lost um, – in your in your matches, you may have lost one match there. So uh, everyone from third place up has an opportunity to come out with, with cash prizes. And like I said, just consistently placing uh, will net you a pretty penny uh, at the end of the day if you did enough of these tournaments. In the kids' division, you get uh, scholarships instead of cash. How does that work? Uh, well, basically, it's the same thing. We're we're terminate um, scholarship money only because we want to see the parents of those athletes take a little bit of that money and offset some of the costs. But we also want to see them open up college savings funds for um, these young athletes and these young scholar warriors. Um, we believe that that time frame from seven to 17 years of age, that's a long time to be competing on that circuit. And let's just say you've got uh, an athlete 
in this uh, kids slash team division that has been competing for five years. Well, if that athlete is doing well and he or she is out there uh, really making um, headlines and noises there, um, we believe that that child would have accrued enough money to actually offset training expenses and equipment expenses for jujitsu, but also will be able to save back a portion of that money to put back for future events such as college or something like that. Uh, we know that not everybody is gun ho about going to college, but that's the reason why it's called scholarship because we like you to think about where you want to place this money for the future. What do you want to do with that? Because that's a very critical age right there from seven to 17 years of age, where that's almost a decade where you could travel and earn um, scholarship money and continue on just by placing in these tournaments and really be able to put back. I mean, I don't know too many places where you could have done that, uh, where you could do something really fun, such as competing in a tournament. And if you place, you could take that money and put it back for the future. So you could throw it into a college savings or you can say, hey, I'm going to save all this money. I'm going to buy a Ferrari when I turn 18. (laughs) So, you know, it's like your choice. You know, I want to look cool or I want to go to school or I want to have my own flat. Whatever the case may be, you have that option. So uh, that's why we deem the uh, kids slash team divisions as scholarship money because we really want to put a lot of thought uh, for those athletes and the parents of those athletes to put a lot of thought into uh, what they want to do with that money for the future for that athlete. That's good. What made you decide to, to start this uh, pro jiu-jitsu uh, tournament circuit? Um, it was a conversation. Uh, it was a conversation that I had uh, about eight years ago. Um, you know, as jiu-jitsu guys, we stand around the mats and we talk. And it's mainly more BS than what the law will allow. But we, we, we talk and we just sit around and just BS ourselves to death. And um, I can distinctly remember that someone, uh, this lady, she doesn't do jujitsu. She just hangs around because she's one of the uh, athlete's girlfriend. And she hangs around and she just basically waits on him to get done so that she can go. And she's always rushing him. She's always like, you know, we got to go do something. We always got to do something. So it was always like it was a burden on her. And... For some reason, this night, she walks up to, and we're all talking, she walks up to our group and she joins in the conversation. And uh, one of the guys that I was training with had just come back from Naga uh, Worlds, I think, and had just won uh, the gold medal in his division. And he's talking about, you know, his time at Naga and, you know, now that he's Naga World Champion. The girl seemed unimpressed. Like, but we're all kind of thinking of it as like a big deal because, you know, what do we know? We're just a bunch of low ranking bluebells. And we thought it was pretty awesome that, you know, he had made it there. And a guy, another guy who is not part of the jiu-jitsu community, he was just kind of just popping in. He walks over and he joins the conversation and he's starting to talk about himself now. And he says to the group, he says, well, I'm an artist. And the girlfriend turned around immediately and she was like, oh, 
well, how much do you sell your paintings for? And he goes on to tell her that, you know, I've sold paintings as high as $500 and low as $100 and stuff like that. That was more impressive to her than this guy winning Naga Worlds. And, you know, it was like kind of like a light bulb moment. You know, I don't know what to do with it, but it's a light bulb moment. The reason why people in the jiu-jitsu community have a hard time when they're in relationships and, and this goes for all athletes, but especially in our community, because there is no monetary gain in most of these venues is because there is no monetary gain in these venues. You go there, you spend your money, you spend your time, you've done all of this and you came home with a medal or a belt. And that's all cool and all because it strokes our egos and makes us feel good about what we're learning on the mat And we go on and we try to um, make better of what we've done here. But to our families and our and our people who don't do jujitsu, the fact that we can't say that we're professionals, that, hey, I went to a jujitsu tournament. I'm a and and won money. I'm a professional jujitsu athlete makes it almost third class in and of itself. So the fact that we're not professionals, the fact that we go to these tournaments after training our butts off, after training hard and trying to get everything uh, right and and doing all the things that it takes to be uh, a top caliber athlete, at the end of the day, you're still an amateur. And at that rate, you just spent out money for what? something that no one will remember. But if if this tournament circuit, if this idea were to come to fruition, it gives us a new voice. It gives us something that uh, actually helps bring more athletes into jujitsu because now people can start to see a future in in their Mm -hmm. careers there. I can sit here and say, maybe I could win a couple of these tournaments. Maybe I could spend a year training really, really hard, win enough money, open up my own academy, make a dream that I wanted to have come to a reality. You know, um, I can remember distinctly that the um, Budo Jake had on there uh, some guys from AOJ. Uh, this guy in uh, particular, he moved from New Jersey to California to train with the Mendez brothers. And... Um, he had kind of left the financial burden to his wife. You know, he quit his job, went out there, started training full time for a whole year and he won the world championships. And it was just like, wow, okay. But then at the end of the day, it was like, well, now what? What do we do now? It's like, there's a big gap. There's a void. He just won the world championships, but there's no monetary gain associated with that. It's he won the world championships. Hooray. Now go on with life. And that right there is the hardest thing that I could possibly have listened to, because I want to say, you know, you should have enough money to where if if you did want to go back to your regular uh, life, that you could be able to, you know, effortlessly transition into it and. That didn't happen. That wasn't going to happen. It was, he's going to return to reality. 
he's going to have to start to reapply for jobs quickly and try to make a life from there. So, and I, of course, I don't know what happened to the guy. I don't know if that, but that's the sense that I got. That's the, that's the story I'm completing in my head, but I don't know that story to be the ultimate true story right there, but it's just something that I thought that, um, that a lot of athletes struggle with, that that will be their reality right there. Do you think the like the actual matches will feel a little differently with people with uh, money on the line versus uh, a medal or the drive to win, actually being able to win uh, financially? Do you think that will kind of make the tournament feel a little differently for the athletes or maybe uh, make them train a little differently? I think it'll definitely do both. Uh, training differently because now – you're going to have to do some things that we in the jiu-jitsu community don't do. And uh, I hearken back to judo, the way judo athletes train. You, you're not going to go to the U.S. Nationals. You're not going to go to the Pan Ams or you're not going to go to any international contest in judo without facing a guy who already knows who you are. Okay? He knows who you are and what you're about. And if he doesn't, he can almost discard you because you are probably not even on this map. And so judo makes your training uh, a, a little bit different. It makes you have to scout tournaments, scout yourself, scout your opponents. It makes you do a lot of scouting. You have to have a lot of people in behind you. You have to have a lot of experts teach you. Uh, you even have to have – it gets so minute, you even have to have a rules coach, somebody who can apply the rules to the particular technique that you're good at. I mean, it gets just that minute. Uh, and I think that with this tournament circuit here, it's going to change the way athletes have to cha- uh, train here. They're going to have to start scouting their opponents. They're going to have to start having a team of people around them, conditioning coaches and stuff like that, and actually try to build them up to make world-caliber athletes. And I already know that some of the higher-end black belts have already done this. But as far as everyone in the jiu-jitsu community, this is where we're pushing. We're trying to push that that stage up, you know, trying to basically, as the rappers would say, get your game up, you know, taking it from one step to the next right there where you're having to work a program. You have to seek out a specialist in a particular area that you're trying to master uh, and really basically just uh, build the, the jujitsu community from there. Because I think that um, Kano, who is the founder of judo, uh, kind of kind of enlightened us to that, that, you know, if you went and you actually sought uh, these experts and you actually push for this kind of thing that uh, you will become that good. And, and and if you go to the Kodokan in Japan, you'll always hear these guys talk about, you know, this is my Harai Goshi. This is my um, Sayanagi or anything like that. And they're always specifically saying that because this is the way they have mastered it. And you can take those same techniques or you can take a blend of them and always um, make something of your own there. And I think that this is what this uh, jujitsu tournament circuit is all about, is taking jujitsu into its own to actually push for jujitsu athletes to professionalize their training methods, to make it more uh, effective and more efficient than ever before. So if we can 
uh, if we can put a monetary value to that, then it actually would go towards the academy owners would make money, which will help them to make more changes to their facilities. Uh, the athletes are making money, so it helps them to uh, concentrate on their diet, their exercising, and all of that. And uh, the families are getting something because they're not having to carry the financial burden as much uh, for that athlete. So do you know how many, I guess, people you need to sign up for the tournament or each division or the tournament in, in general? How, how do the, the numbers kind of break down? Okay, so the numbers break down like this. Um, this is what we would like to have, and this is the minimum that we can push out for any given tournament. Uh, what we would like to have is for any given division, uh, we would like to have at least 40 athletes in that division. Um, and in that, uh, out of the 40 athletes, you're probably looking at roughly about five matches to the championship. Okay. Um, and in each division there, uh, the heavies fight the heavies, the lights with the lights, the middles with the middles, and so on and so forth. As you go through the bracket there, the um, the heavies will start to cease out, and you will get a really good heavy. At the uh, middle weight, you'll get somebody in the middle, and so on and so forth. Uh, in the end there, you'll always have a light and a heavy somewhere about in the championship round there. Uh, and that's on a 40-man bracket there. Uh, the minimum that we can possibly have there is a 20-man bracket or 20-woman bracket, uh, whichever division uh, is in there. Um, and the same applies to them as well. So it's roughly about a few matches there, but a 20-man uh, bracket there. Um, that's what we. That's the minimum that we could possibly actually sustain the tournament on a 20-man bracket for each one of the divisions there. But in that, you know, we would really, really, really be running on a skeleton right there. And that's something that uh, me and my crew have been looking at, and we're very nervous. And, and just to be honest, we're very nervous about that part right there because that's something that um, – that indicates that we're not getting the word out enough because we think that once everybody knows about this, this is going to be um, pretty big there. And, I, and I, if it turns out that we have to run it on a 20-man bracket uh, for each one of the divisions, we would do it. Uh, and we would do it in a heartbeat because we not, we're not looking to be you know, rich and famous here. We just want to put it on because we believe in jiu-jitsu wholeheartedly. Is there an, an absolute element to this? You start off in your weight class and then you uh, go from there, or um, how does that work? Yeah, so um, it's like I said before, it's kind of got an absolute feel. It's a really traditional styled uh, jiu-jitsu tournament. If you look at the old ways, how things were, there was no weight divisions. I think that that's the biggest kind of hide behind is putting weight classes into tournaments right there because um, it allows athletes of certain weights to get away with things that wouldn't actually work out. Um, you notice that a lot of the lighter weight people and um, in those divisions don't really compete in major tournaments in the absolutes. And that's only because, well, in my opinion, I don't think that they're, training 
to fight in an absolute type of ordeal. But uh, and also it encourages cutting weight. It encourages athletes to cut down into a vision. You know, this guy is walking around daily at 200 pounds there, but he's going to cut down to 170. You know, and I think that that right there is, you know, that's that shouldn't be the the, the process for jujitsu. We shouldn't be trimming our athletes down. We should be really trying to build their bodies up. And I think that cutting weight is one of those mega issues there. So to kind of cut and bypass uh, those mechanisms there, we kind of have an absolute style bracket, but it works out like this. Um, athletes of one particular weight class will be put in, say, a pool. And this pool will be uh, lettered through A through D, let's just say. this day You've got heavyweight, middle heavyweight, middleweight, and lightweight, or something like that. And so people of the same um, – in the same weight class will be fighting each other at the very top. People of a similar weight class in a different pool will be fighting. And so the winners of those um, pools will be going on and advancing into the tournament there. So now at the onset, you've got, uh, say, a heavy, uh, let's say this is semifinals. You've got a heavy, a middle heavy, a middle weight, and a lightweight, you know, well, the middle and the light will fight and the heavy and the middle heavy will fight. The winner of that will be in the championship round there. And so now you've got a heavy and a, and a light or a heavy in the middle or a middle heavy and a middle or a middle heavy and a light all in that in that championship right there. So everybody has a fair chance of actually making it to the championship round. Uh, one of the things that we would like to see athletes do, especially at the lighter end, is push their game to prove day in and day out that jiu-jitsu is ill regardless of weight and strength, if that is to be the case there. Um, and I, I like to harken back again to judo. Uh, if you look at something like the All Japan Championships, uh, always interesting there because you see it all the time where you'll see a guy, he's roughly about 160 pounds, <clears throat> and there's this other guy, he comes in there, he's about 240. And shocking enough, it happens pretty often, that light comes in there, throws a good technique, he's got him. And he's advancing onward to the, um, to the advancing into the tournament there. And so I'm thinking that we can do the same thing here in jiu-jitsu. But I don't want athletes to cut down in weight and try to win a division because they're walking around at 200, but they can super cut down to 185, 170 and make it into that division and be much, much stronger than people who are actually walking around at about that weight or people bulking up into that weight or so on and so forth. So it was really more or less trying to, you know, cut off, uh, athletes who 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 are doing that. So you you break them up by skill by belt level, and then mm -hmm. you have them compete in kind of a smaller uh, tournament with people in their weight class, their weight area, and then from there mm -hmm. they go and compete with the people that that won. Uh, I guess basically their weight division and the first place and third of that are are the winners of the prize money. Is that how it works? Yes, sir. Okay. That's how exactly how it works. 
All right. So there's some some different things going on with with this tournament. Anything else that makes this different or sets it aside from other tournaments out there? Well, I think that the fact that we're trying to do this consistently, make uh, prize caches available consistently, where you can kind of schedule out uh, your tournament plans for the year is what makes this a little bit different. There's a lot of pro jujitsu something all around the country, but I think that we're the first to actually try to make it such that it's a consistent thing uh, all uh, for nine months out of the year where we actually have a tournament going on somewhere in this country where athletes who are savvy sit down and they plan and they say, okay, well, uh, this month I want to be here, I'll make this much, and this month I'll be here and I'll make that much, and so on and so forth. And they can start to try to calculate if they do well, they can earn this much, or if they do kind of okay, they can do that much, and what they can spend the money on and what they need and what they don't need. I think that's the real difference between us and everyone else is just that we are we're, we're looking towards the consistency uh athletes that make money but they know hey they can plan a year out i can go here here and here and if i win all of this i can make x amount of money and know that it will be there at the very end of the day that this is what's going to happen so i think that's the difference between us and uh, a lot of other pro jiu-jitsu uh, tournament uh, venues that are out there. Are there any uh, different rules that we're not used to? You know, something that is a little unusual or anything regarding uh, IBJJF rules or knee reaping or EBI, that sort of thing? You know, <clears throat> I, I get this question a lot. You know, this this question is something that comes up on our post boards all the time on our social media. Um, and people are wanting me to go to uh, different styles of, of tournament rules. Some people wanted me to separate out gi and no gi uh, so that athletes um, that that come can participate in gi but not no gi or no gi but not gi. Uh, the rules are pretty, pretty fair. Uh, the first rules is that when you register, you're automatically registered for gi and no gi, period. You will fight in both gi or no gi. If you do not fight in one of these events, you forfeit the other event. Uh, that means that your skill in both gi and no gi has to come up. But at the onset there, because your skill is so high, you can win prize money in both gi and no gi events. So you have two opportunities to earn prize money in that respect. Uh, the other thing is one-trick ponies. I'm not going to allow reaping of the knee and all these heel hooks and uh, all this other crazy stuff there because it becomes a, a one-trick pony kind of show. I think that basic traditional jiu-jitsu, straight ankle locks if you're a blue belt and above and um, all this other stuff, it, it's, it's pretty fair and pretty common there. I think it takes a high level of skill to actually uh, accrue points and win by points. Uh, if it's a good match, if it's a good setup, I think that the way uh, we've traditionally done it uh, shows the best form and skills that we could possibly ask for for any uh, jiu-jitsu athlete. So I kind of basically keep it traditional 
And and it's not to say that later on around the road, we won't come up with something really cool and funky. Right now, I just think that good old fashioned tradition uh, is what's needed to just to get started with. Uh, later on, we may come up with something that is um, of note. But as for now, let's keep it traditional and let's keep it uh, fair for everyone to try to win uh, in place at all of these tournaments here. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you're really uh, kind of tweaking the reward system of, of the tournament, not really uh, changing the way that uh, the actual matches play out. Right. And, you know, because that's the most important part. The most important part is that the athletes who are placing at these tournaments make money to go back to offset financial expenses, not paying athletes to come up with a one trick pony show and walk away with the money because uh, this is the way, you know, some other tournament circuit plays it. Uh, We believe that if we are sitting here uh, shelling out prize money and scholarship money, that in some respect, you're going to have to show a lot of skill. The fact that you are earning prize money in both gi and no gi shows a high level of skill because there's academies out there that only train strictly in the gi. There's only there's academies out there that train strictly in no gi and the worlds never merge. Well, with this to be a top earner, you're going to have to show that I can compete in gi and I can translate that to no gi. I can translate uh, or I can be in no gi and I can translate that to the gi. So that shows a high level of skill. Those people who are top earners have the they're they're jujitsu experts. They're they're learning the correct way, which is to do it in both to be able to take the gi off and be able to fight, but also throw it on and be able to fight and win at a very high level. So. I think that that's the most important part is, is that we're pushing the judicial community to kind of merge those two worlds. Uh, Michael, you've got uh, a lot on your plate here. Uh, it sounds like a, a real ambitious uh, venture and it's very interesting. Uh, what's, when is the first tournament kind of set us up on the calendar a little bit here? Okay. So our very first tournament here is uh, in Dallas, Texas is at the NY Tex. Uh, Sport Arena, March 16th and 17th. That's the adult uh, Dallas Winter Grand Prix. And the kids uh, Dallas Grand Prix is also in the same complex, the NY Tech uh, Sporting Arena, uh, March 23rd and 24th. Uh, we are trying to finalize the dates for the San Antonio Open, and uh, we haven't done um that thus far but that's somewhere in the middle of april and we'll be there for two weekends in a row as well and also traveling to both austin and um houston uh later on uh down the lines and those dates haven't been finalized we've really been just trying to focus in on this dallas uh grand prix and hopes that we could uh show it to be a success that athletes can um, come to this tournament and actually be successful at it and uh, see where we can go from there. So we're really putting a lot of stock into this first tournament right now. And um, just stay tuned because hopefully if this 
does moderately well. Uh, we'll be going into San Antonio, Austin, and uh, Houston. Cool. You kind of hitting that region up there, and it's a it's a lot of people live. I recently drove uh, through the, kind of that area on my way to Austin, and you know through Dallas and and uh, Austin, and ended up in. Uh, San Antonio. There's a lot of people. I was like, I didn't realize that these cities were that big. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's a good place to, to kind of start off and introduce the, the concept to the community. And a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people will show up and, and compete for the, for the big prizes there. And, and you know what? What's really amazing about all of this, I didn't notice until I started doing my homework here. There's a lot of high ranking black belts down there. Yeah. I mean, Austin has two, three, four, six-degree black belts down there. Um, San Antonio has like a group of just uh, uh, amazing black belts uh, that I've heard over over my career as a jiu-jitsu practitioner. You got Dracolino down there. You've got William uh, Vandy down there. Uh, you got all these guys that are just – I mean, it's just an amazing community of jiu-jitsu, and I just didn't realize – how many guys are down there? Bruno, um, Bruno's down there. Uh, one of my old instructors, William, uh, I'm sorry, Wilson Fayal is down there. I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a lot of people down there that, that, yeah, amazing, amazing jujitsu community. But ultimately, you'll be branching out, uh, kind of covering the U.S. is the plan, right? Yes, uh, we hopefully after. Uh, this uh, Texas campaign will be moving into uh, California, um, uh, spreading our wings a little bit, trying to hit New York, anything on the East Coast, trying to hit the desert states, Arizona, New Mexico, um, all out that way. So we're we're going to take and we're just going to try to um, get to as many places as we can uh, and go as far as we can in this first year and just basically just introduce people to our brand of uh, professional jiu-jitsu tournament circuit there. And hopefully it'll it'll light a fire under the jiu-jitsu community to come out and support. But at the same time, uh, unite the jiu-jitsu community into one frame of mind where we can both um, both come up with ideas because – you know, we're not sitting here saying these are the absolute things that we're going to be doing. We're going to be listening to the jiu-jitsu community as well. We're going to be asking, you know, what can we do? How can we do better? And taking those ideas and basically, you know, working them over, seeing if we can combine ideas and try to improve this thing uh, as much as we possibly can. Uh, Michael, you're a coach, uh, you know, tournament promoter, uh Let's just say that you have a, a blue belt, and they're going to enter this tournament, and they want to do well and get to the prize money uh, level. What advice do you have for them? You know, to help their training and help the tournament go very well. Um, the number one thing that I will tell you to do is number one, scout yourself. That's something that we in the jujitsu community. Don't do enough. Scout yourself. Find out what you do best on the mat and then try to find someone that can help you do it even better. Uh, Number two, scout the tournament. Scout who's all coming. Scout what's around, who's 
possibly going to be in your weight division. These things right here will aid you because if you don't know who you're fighting, you don't know what to prepare for. But if you don't know who you are as a jujitsu competitor, then you're not going to uh, consistently be on that podium. So one of the things that I always tell my competitors is to scout yourself and then seek out because your coach, although they may be a great person to learn one thing or another, there's always those times where, hey, I play spider guard. My coach plays close guard. I need to find someone who's a spider guard expert, go and seek that person out and learn how to do it better than I'm doing it currently. And so that makes you a better competitor. And also that pushes you to kind of push your game to the next level where you can be uh, uh, one of those top consistent athletes at a pro jiu-jitsu tournament circuit, no matter if it is the, uh, if I, if it is our tournament circuit, any tournament circuit, these are the things that you're going to have to do to be successful. Also, scouting the tournament. Look around. Who's around you? Who's most likely to come? Who have you faced? Who have you lost to? And why did you lose to them? Did you ha- do you have film on that person? Uh, these are things right here that, again, you're going to have to kind of just become a student of the game, basically. So these are the only two things that I could possibly offer you. But I feel as though if you learn this portion right here, if you learn this well, I assure you, you're going to be a much more consistent athlete or much more competitive athlete than your peers who are not trying these methodologies here. Yeah, that's good advice, whether you're wanting to, to go to a tournament and, and tear it up or just wanting to get better, uh, just just to have more uh, enjoyment and, and get better as a martial artist. Uh, yeah. Really discover, you know, get help from your teammates, find what they do well and, and, and learn about that and figure out what you do well and, and what areas you need to work on and, uh, and get to work. <laughs> yeah. Very much. <laughs> Again, being a being a student of the game here is probably the hardest thing to get people to do. Everybody just wants to be spoon fed. You know, they just want it just to be, you know, put down their throat and they just have it. But uh, that doesn't happen. I, you know, as a as an instructor, as a coach, as uh, as uh, a team member on many competitors, um, competition teams there, I can tell you no one can spoon feed you this stuff. You either are going to study it and you're going to be a student or you're going to not and just get spoon fed. But you, when you get spoon fed, you only get so much of it. And then, you know, the other portion right there is kind of like empty. What that? And that's just not for jujitsu. That's for anything. You know, if you wanted to sit here and say, I want to be a good leader or I wanted to be a good um, runner or I want to be a good anything, you have to become a student of that thing. You have to understand what it takes. That takes research. That takes seeking out uh, people who have been in that position before, people who have done it. So you really have to 
kind of immerse yourself into it. And I think that immersion scares a lot of people away from actually doing it. That's the reason why I say competitors probably have the hardest job of any sporting uh, um, arena ever because it's hard to wake up every morning fully energized and charged to go and do a task every single day. You've got to want to roll every single day. No matter if you're sick, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. I want to look. It's a pretty day. There's a girl outside. There's a boy outside. You know, you've got to wake up every day saying, I got to go to the academy and train. I've got to go over here and run. I've got to go over here and do this. And that's hard, especially not in the first month, but it's the 30th month. It's the 60th month. You know, what happens then? You know, and what you're looking at is people start to wane off. They just like, oh, well, I don't want to do it anymore. I just want to be an average Joe. I just want to train when I want to train and do what I want to do. And that's what makes competition hard because you have to do it every day, train every day, no matter the circumstances, no matter how you're feeling, come in and train and that's the reason why the competition competitors' lives are so short as far as their competition life. You know, they have a time where they're doing it, and then there's a time they'll never do it again. And they or they'll do it sporadically, like every once in a blue moon when the when the feeling hits them, you know. You know, I've been thinking about this whole thing. It's it's a real neat concept. But you know, I think it's it's also kind of a cool thing that you're you're titling it scholarships to the uh to the non-adult division, the 18 and under. Um, and I was thinking if, if I was one of those kids and, and I won a scholarship from the eternal cup series and, and I was like applying for a job or looking, you know, to apply for, you know, some college applications or whatever, I could put that, put that on there. Winner of eternal cup series scholarship. And, you know, they might look at, oh, that's cool, whatever. Or they might ask you about that and you have a little opportunity uh, to, to explain how hard you work and that sort of thing, too. I think that just titling it that, I think it's a little more friendly on a on an application or on a resume that mm-hmm. um, not winner of a tournament, you, you know, you, you want a scholarship. And, uh, and that kind of opens up a, maybe a different angle for them to explain uh, themselves and, and present that uh, experience. Yeah, it is another situation outside of jiu-jitsu. Yes, I mean it's like it's like anything. Um, if you look at college athletes when they are done, who have uh, been on scholarship at the local university or some major university, they're all the time putting it on there. You know, I was a scholarship athlete, uh, and that's very important because when an employer looks at that, they know that again, you had to wake up five a.m. Go on there, do it. No matter how you felt, the coach said you got to be here at practice or you didn't play. And so it starts to go more towards the fact that they know your character now more than they know anything else. Uh, they know that you're going to wake up, rain, sleep, hell or shine there, and you're going to come to work and you're going to do the task that you're required to do. And by talent scholarship money, we wanted parents to start thinking and start talking to their kids. And again, it opens up that dialogue between those two, the parent and the kid, to start to discuss 
where are we going with this? Okay. And at the same time, you still have time to kind of figure it out. So while you're figuring it out, let me put this money up for you. Let me, oh, you want to go there? Well, you can take a little bit of your money right here and we can go there. How about that? And now the burden is not on the parent. The burden is not uh, being carried by the family and stuff like that. Oh, well, uh, I got to take some of my bonus money that I got at work and take uh, my kid who is passionate about jujitsu to a tournament that doesn't hand out any money. And although the kid won, it kind of like it, it, it really does. It drains that parent. So we really want that dialogue between parent and child talking about those future events. And it starts to focus that child as well in their schoolwork, um, in their in their habits. So now they're starting to say, hey, I may be able to go to this or I may be able to do this or maybe I can get a house right off the bat who knows but you know in that you know you can start to talk about planning for the future yeah and that's a whole (laughs) whole different thing um so with any business venture there's uh risk involved and and we talked a a little bit about you know starting the business of uh, running your own school and, and 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 what that was like i know you know your heart is in this and you want to try this you know 110 percent to get this to work um, is there any plans if, if the first couple of tournaments don't go well, what, what are you looking at? Um, you know, failure is always a part of business, uh, no matter how long you've been in business, whether it's the first day you can fail in the first day, you can fail in the, you know, in a hundred years you could fail. Um, so failure is always a part of anything that you do in, in the business world. Uh, but if we if, if it fails, if we fail in the first couple of tournaments, we're still going to be there. Maybe somebody else has a better idea. Maybe somebody else has a better way to present it to athletes and get them to come or has a better stage presence or more popularity or whatever the case may be. But we're going to be on their team as well. We're on the team of pushing jujitsu uh, beyond its current state. And so... If that organization takes off, hey, I want to be a part. I want to support that as much as I possibly can. You know, we're just so happy to just throw this out here and see. And this is our, this is our, you know, uh, thoughts on it. And we're pushing to kind of uh, go for that barrier. And I don't know if it's going to be successful or not. But if it's not, that's okay. You know, we did it. We tried it. Uh, people can now come to us afterwards and be like, hey, why did it not succeed? And we could tell them uh, some of the things that we faltered and maybe we could be one of the cogs that helps the person who does do this be successful. And in being successful, hey, I want to be on that guy's team too because now he's figured all the kinks out. Now we actually have it going. And so because of that, we're able to push jujitsu uh, beyond its years, you know, because if you really look at something like judo, it took judo 82 years before it was an Olympic sport. If you look at the very first uh, major jujitsu tournament that was done in what, 1996 at the Pan Am 
um, tournament there. Um, that's only 22 years ago. And we are trying to do something that took the, our predecessor 82 years to do. And by doing that, we could possibly make uh, a real dent in the problems in jiu-jitsu right now, mainly the financial problems that athletes are having. So, you know, I don't care whether we're the guys that do it or somebody else later on down the line does it. But what I do care about is that it does happen. And we're going to support any organization that actually is able to pull it off because this is something that um, we strongly believe in. I mean, the guys who are behind me, who are supporting me and helping me do this, uh, these guys have been in the game just about as long as I have. And we've been talking about this same stuff since we first started. Heck, I was talking about this same stuff when I started judo in 2001, trying to be an A-class um, judoka so that I can um, – so that I could get financial supporting and go around the world and train with the best and try to beat the best. But that doesn't happen unless there is a financial um, reward at the end of these competitions. And so we're going to support every organization that uh, who turns out to do it, period. Uh, whether it be us or someone else, if people came to us after we failed and we decide not to do it anymore or anything like that, we're going to tell everybody, hey, here's our problems. Here's what we had problems dealing with. And maybe somebody can find the solutions to those. But um, in the onset there, the only thing that we can do is just try. And hopefully the, the jujitsu community can come out and support us on that. Yeah, that's cool. Michael, you seem like a super busy guy running your academy and, and uh, tournament circuit. Uh, what do you do when you're not doing those things? Uh, when I'm not doing those things, I'm sleeping, eating, showering, and <laughs> <laughs> nine to five. <laughs> it, it has consumed my entire life. I mean, I didn't know how much I love jujitsu until it becomes like – your entire life is encompassed around it. I actually schedule my whole entire day and week around what am I doing for jujitsu? And then everything else comes secondary, you know, even my grocery shopping is like, I got to run these mini classes and then I got an hour break right here. So I'll run to the grocery store, grab all my groceries and then come back and I'll run another class, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of, it's kind of hectic in that, in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> you, you are, you're a busy guy. Yes, yes, very much so. But it's it's all love, you know. That's the that's the key. It's all love. I love what I do every single day. I love watching the light bulbs pop off in everybody's head when they come to that aha moment where that little drop of knowledge just sunk into their heads just that much deeper. And forever in the day, they'll always have that little drop in the bucket right there. Uh, no matter what comes, they'll always have it. So that's, that's the, that's the joy of it. That's what I love seeing every day. And I'm so happy to be doing it. Cool, man. That's awesome. Um, I, I want to ask you just a little bit more on the business side of things. Cause we get a lot of, uh, coaches and athletes in here and they give us great perspective on what's going on there. But, um, we don't get a, a ton of people coming in, uh, from the business side of jujitsu. Can you think of maybe one of the first or one of the biggest 
surprises you had when trying to organize the tournament and, and how you got uh, through that? I think uh, one of the biggest shockers is the learning curve. You don't know what you don't know. Okay, so you walk in there and you say, well, I just should just put up a flyer and everybody should just come, right? And no. And you walk around and you're like, well, okay, well, what if I hired some expert? And you're like, wow, okay, that expert's a lot of money, you know? <laughs> and it, it's, it's like everything you don't know, you're going to have to learn and you're going to have to learn it quick. You're going to have to learn how to be a social media guru. You're going to have to learn what works and what doesn't work. You're going to have to learn how to read analytics faster than you've ever read them before. you got to be sitting here contacting people. You have to be a salesman. You have to be an analyst. You have to be a um, visionary. You have to be all of these things all at once because everybody is turning around and they're coming at you from all different angles. The people that you have working with you are going to be like, well, what do I need to do? And you can't sit there and say, I don't know, because, you know, then that guy doesn't know what to do. And so um, you really have to you really have to just basically put your whole self into it. And that is probably the hardest thing, because you don't know what you're putting yourself into. Because, again, you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know that this is the best way to do this kind of social media campaign or you don't know that that's the worst kind, it's going to cost you financially. And so if you're not careful, you'll pull all your money down the drain in the wrong areas and still have reached out to no one at all. And so that is... Wow, that is hard to do because there's many sharks out there that see you coming and they'll float right towards you. And you have to be cognizant of that. Uh, Also, you have to be cognizant of the people that you're hiring around you. Um, You bring somebody on and they become a bad apple. And you're like, wow, where did that come from? I, I did not expect that. And so now you've got to be able to say, hey, uh, you're not part of this organization anymore. And that's hard, too. And so you really I mean, it's unbelievably you really have to be able to look on all 360 degrees of your sides there and be able to recognize what you're dealing with at every juncture. So that's really hard to do. And again, that learning curve is very, very steep. But again, I said all of that to say this. If you really want to do it, you will learn it. You will watch out for it and you will try to protect it as best you can. And uh, in my opinion, I think the universe opens itself up to those who put their whole heart into it. I think that opportunity Uh, I like this. Luck is the residue of um, you you going forward. Uh, So you can be going forward in a positive direction and you might get that break because you're going forward, because somebody sees you going there. So I think that that right there also plays a big part of it. But in the onset there, you're going to have to love it, period. That's what business is. 
is a love thing. Because if you don't love what you're doing, I guarantee you, you will get eat up out here trying to do it. Because, again, there's just too much that could go wrong and you're having to deal with it. But you have to deal with it on a very, very um, – you have to deal with it as a business person, as an instructor, as a coach. You have to deal with it on all sides. So it's just something you're going to have to love. You're going to have to dream about it, eat about it. I mean – I'm I'm sitting in my office and I'm like writing down what I need to do the next day, you know, kind of thing. And I've got this whole laundry list of stuff that has to be done. I've got to contact these people. I've got to do this. And, you know, that's that's a very hard thing to do um, in a sense. So uh, it's something that you're going to have to love. But at the same time, if you put your whole heart into it and if you go forward, I think opportunities uh, increase as you keep going there. So. Um, that's, that's the best thing I could possibly offer to anyone doing this. It's just that you're going to have to just, uh, just go into it with your full heart. Uh, Michael, are you ready to play family feud, my friend? All right, let's, let's do it. Name something that you bring in from outdoors before a storm comes in. Uh, water. Name something you buy. I can't read. Name something you buy that would be hard to return. Food. Name something you buy that would suddenly bring you a lot of new friends. A car. Name something you check if you were the last one to leave the office at night. The lights. Name something you crave on a daily basis. Sugar. (laughs) Sugar. Uh... I, we could we could say uh, <laughs> um, eating uh, a soft drink. That'll that's close enough to sugar. There's a couple of sugary okay. items on there. Uh, soft drink, I think, is worth the most points. Okay, so something you bring inside before a storm. Um, the number one answer was lawn furniture. Didn't get <laughs> didn't get any points for water. Uh, something that oh. would be hard to return. Uh, food. Is uh, worth eleven points. Uh, the number one answer was underwear. Kind of a weird thing to return. Something <laughs> that would bring you a lot of new friends. Car. You nailed it. That was the number one answer. Something Good. you check at the office before you leave at night. Uh, you got a very strong answer for thirty-eight points for lights off. Uh, one a little bit more than that is the doors locked for forty-two points. But uh, very good oh. one there. And then something you crave: sugar. Uh, we'll change that to soda because sugar. I mean, all these have kind of sugar on them. Uh, soda for nine points. Michael, you scored a hundred and one points, which is uh, a good score. You know, you in the in the game they won. You know, two people had to score hundred together, so you gave your partner a little bit of help there by getting them the extra points. So good job, Michael. Good, good, good. <laughs> so uh, we've talked a lot today about uh, the tournament and what's going on. Where can people go to find out more information? Um, it's really simple. Uh, you can go to www.theeternalcup.com. Um, that's our website. Uh, the very first page brings you to um, our registration event uh, calendar. So you can just click on information and find out everything. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, so you can look us up on our Facebook or Instagram accounts there. So, uh, hashtag pro jujitsu tour. So we're, we're everywhere. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll look for that. We'll put links to those uh, in the show notes as well. So people go check them out and, and, and find you. And definitely if you're 
in the Texas area you know, for these first two tournaments, definitely worth looking into. Very much so, very much so. So I think that uh, the Texas community, hopefully they'll come out and support, and uh, hopefully we can run a really good tournament this year. Yep. You, I mean, it really is both. They'll come out and support you, have a good tournament with good matches, and they get support back uh, with with actual prize money to some of the competitors. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And again, uh, the prize money, um, again, is noteworthy um, for adults, white belts and blue belts. Uh, first place, 750. Second, 500. Third, 250. Uh, that's for both gi and no gi events. Uh, for the purples and browns, that's 1,000. 750, 500, both events, both gi and no gi. And uh, again, top athletes can walk out of there with $2,000 in their pocket after one event. So uh, it's worth taking a look and coming out and trying to support. Uh, Michael, those are uh, great to, to share the numbers there. Any sort of a, a team prize or anything like that at the tournament? Uh, yes. Yeah. So for the academy owners that actually bring the most competitors from their academies, um, there's a $1,000 prize and a team trophy for um, that, that academy owner. So, um, that could help the academies out a great deal just by bringing the most competitors, um, not saying any kind of point system or, Hey, my athletes accrued so many first places or anything like that. If you just simply bring the most competitors to our event, you win the team prize of a thousand dollars and the team trophy, which is a glass boss, which you can see on our uh, social media out there. There are a lot of reasons to compete in the tournament. Uh, winning money is one of them, but a lot of times people just sign up to just to get the experience of it, and that may be some of the students. But it really gives the incentive uh, for coaches to to urge people who are kind of ah, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't to get out there and try it and, and get that experience either way. Exactly. I mean, it's great experiences for the uh, academy owners. Um, it helps them to understand what it's possibly going to take to run a professionally geared competition team so just by gathering as many competitors as you possibly can and training up as many competitors as you can and then bringing them to the uh to our events there uh the possibility of winning a thousand dollars just think what a, an academy owner could do with a thousand dollars uh that could go towards rent or helping some unfortunate athlete that may need some help trying to pay the expenses of training or anything uh, that that could actually aid the academies and bring it up just that much. And the simple task of just bringing the most competitors. I mean, how how easy is that? So if if the academy owners bring the most athletes, we're going to give them a thousand dollars in cash prizes there. And that's for both kids and adult divisions there. So. Um, we're willing to help as much as we possibly can to try to get as many of these guys. And that's just not for one season, and that's just not for us to do this inaugural thing. This is going to be a continuous thing with us. So uh, as well as we can do is as much more prize money as we can possibly offer to those academies. So this year it's $1,000, but if we really take off, we could up that up and make it even more uh, enticing and incentivizing for uh, academy owners. Yeah, coach, could you could throw one amazing uh, party <laughs> for the students with that that kind of money coming in if that's what you want to do. That's cool. 
Yes. So hopefully we can uh, entice the uh, the academy owners because they are a major part of the jiu-jitsu community. Those guys who took the risk to actually open up a place um, in spite of trying to live themselves. So we want to give something a reward for those guys as well because that it's a major risk. And uh, any anybody uh, that knows me knows that it was a major risk for me to actually open up my own academy and to do some of the things I've done. And I think that this right here will help a lot of academy owners as far as, um, you know, bringing them, um, you know, rewarding them for their risk taking, rewarding them for staying open and trying to uh, aid and teach um athletes there so this is just something from the eternal cup team to the academy owners bring the most competitors you win a thousand dollars but it's just for this season but next season we probably could up that up if all goes well we could up that money that money up for those academy owners uh to higher marks to whereas it makes it a lot feasible to bring those kind of athletes and to uh bring in uh people to do so so hopefully uh we could do that and that's that's a, a cool idea to give uh, reward these teams for getting you know big numbers to show up and kind of a a contest on the side of the of the big uh, tournament contest. Um, any differences in in pay between uh, men and women, or are are we on equal playing ground here? Um, so <clears throat> the way this works out is it's thought um, both male and female athletes earn the same amount of money. Uh, the Eternal Cup uh, team really believes that uh, we have to support both ends of this thing. Uh, we have to support our female athletes as well as our male athletes, and we have to be able to uh, reconcile the both. And the way to do that is, is there's equal pay for equal placement at every event, no matter what. Uh, we are not going to sit here and say, uh, male athletes bring in more money than female athletes, and this does better than that. That that's where we start to skew uh, the jujitsu community and starts to get a big divide. Um, we believe that if the female jujitsu community is to grow, we're going to have to incentivize them as well. And the only way that I can see that to be done is is that they're going to have to be paid equal. To that of male athletes and by doing so this actually uh sets up for a really really good uh, uh growth spurt in the female jiu-jitsu community i mean if you really look at it um how many jiu-jitsu academy owners are female versus the entire population of the jiu-jitsu community uh ownership of, of academies there and, you know, we could talk about the statistics on how many uh, black belt, uh, female, um, and so on and so forth. We can really get minute, but that growth, in my opinion, is not happening because we're always treating our female athletes like second class uh, citizens within our community. And although right now they're not bringing in and raking in as much money as, say, a Bocchetta or a Dafa Vieta or something like that, they are still a vital part of our community. So I, I believe wholeheartedly that we're going to have to make them equal partners in this thing. And 
females that come out, compete, and place will make the exact same money for the exact same rank at the exact same event as any male athlete, period. Good, good for everybody. Yes, very much. Uh, because everybody, I think everybody needs this. I think everybody, you know, think about it. If a female athlete does well over several years of a professional tournament circuit like this, she could then turn around and open up her own academy. And think about this. That, that brings uh, a new audience to jiu-jitsu that probably wouldn't have started out had it not been for uh, this particular athlete. So now we can bring the, the, the joy of jiu-jitsu to the female population and really say, you know, it's just not only for males. There you go. A lot of cool stuff. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, sir. I want to thank Michael for hopping on here, sponsoring the episode, and really sharing his story, uh, some of the business side of it, and some of the grappling side, and, and really what they want to do with this tournament. Great opportunities for uh, grapplers out there who want to support themselves. And it could be anything from making a little extra money to, you know, especially if you're in the in the Texas area, uh, raising some money to go to Worlds or something like that. That's also an opportunity. Or if you want to, you know, do a bunch of these tournaments, you can actually make a decent amount of money and uh, support yourself and not have to worry about working all the time. So th- there's just different avenues, but it's all, it's kind of a, just a different concept. And, and I wish him luck on it. I know it's going to be a tough road as far as getting everything to, to work out right, but it's really a cool concept. And I hope, I think I know that it will help uh, make grapplers uh, more serious and, and, and reward them for their efforts. And that's a, that's a great thing. Yeah. And interestingly, uh, the first couple are in the area where I live. Um, I'll put the word out, try and see if I can encourage some of my friends, trading partners to go and uh, maybe give a little follow up uh, after and let y'all know how it worked out. Awesome. That'd be awesome, Joe. Yep. We'll see. We'll we'll see what we can do. Yep. Let us, let let us, uh, we might just mention it or we may do something uh, special on Facebook. Who knows what we'll do, but uh, that'd be kind of fun. And, you know, uh, we're just talking about the tournament. I think we should get on to, uh, we have a great article this week. Uh, you know, it's called your first competition, um, which, uh, especially if you're planning on, uh, getting into one of Michael Hunter's tournaments, uh, you know, if it's your first competition, this would be a great, uh, article to uh, read before you do it. Um, we have a link to it on the show notes, uh, but it's just, uh, you know, it's one of the things that comes up with, with so many people, you know, I'm getting ready to enter my first tournament. Um, you know, the nerves are there, but it's, it's unfamiliar, uh, if you've never been to, to a tournament or, or, you know, if you didn't grow up wrestling, you know, if you grew up wrestling, you're, you're kind of, a you know, a little more apt to the, uh, tournament, uh, you know, way a tournament runs. But, uh, if this is your very first, you know, tournament ever, never done anything like this before, it, it's confusing. It, uh, you know, the nerves can get there, uh, not knowing what to expect uh, kind of gets to you a lot. And uh, that's uh, what this uh, article is about. It's kind of trying to tell you, you know, what to expect going to your first tournament and, uh, you know, little tips to uh, make yourself do better at it. Yeah, it's a really good article. Um, the first point is, uh, do you want to do it? You know, no, it, it probably isn't doing you a whole lot of good. Um, if you're going into a tournament just because it's the popular thing to do or you're feeling a lot of pressure from your coach or your teammates, you really should want to do it and uh, maybe even understand why you want to do it. Do you want to go test yourself? Do you think you want a career uh, competing or maybe go on to MMA? 
and kind of figure some of that stuff out. And I think the more you understand about that, the better your experience is going to be. Yeah. And should you feel like, uh, you know, after you signed up and, and it's really close, man, I don't know if I want to do that. That's a normal feeling. You get that nervousness and second thought, uh, kind of just second guess yourself. But uh, was the desire there before that happened or were you pushed into it the whole time? I think it's normal to have some apprehension before a tournament that you're putting pressure on yourself for. But uh, was it kind of your idea or was somebody pushing you to it? And and obviously don't let yourself get pushed around uh, by do something you don't want to do. It takes takes time out of your weekend. It takes money. and it. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of benefits to competing. But uh this, this is an awesome article. There's a lot of stuff here. It talks about deciding what division you want to go to, into. talks about the actual competition as far as how it breaks down, as far you know, weighing in and how the bracketing would probably work and matches. And uh, There's a lot of detail in this article and Coach is Killer. How do you guys feel about uh, cutting weight for uh, new competitors? You guys think that's a good idea? You know, myself, I'm not a big fan of cutting a lot of weight um you know i know there are a lot of people who want every little advantage they can get um i I don't know i've just never been that huge person i feel like uh you know if i cut too much weight i i feel not as strong um you know and and the other thing is i guess for me those little guys are tough i'd rather uh (laughs) That's that's not a joke, man. Those lighter guys are tough. They're flexible. It's not. uh, It doesn't play into my old man's game. So uh, I stay away from those. You know, flexible, fast, uh, uh, smaller, smaller individuals than me. Yeah, Yeah, that's Uh, a good point. Particularly for your first tournament, unless you've wrestled and cut weight through that process, I would not recommend it. I cut weight for I think most of the tournaments I did, and I. That was the worst part of uh, the tournament experience was was trying to make weight and cutting weight and getting it down to where I wanted to be. I you know if you want to lose weight, start dieting and and you've got extra weight on your body, an extra twenty, thirty, or forty pounds. And you want to cut off some of that by actually losing it, not like the water weight idea of going to sweat it off you know that morning and and weighing and rehydrate or it, it really with a lot of tournaments having you weigh in right before the match has taken that out and you can't cut weight dehydrated and then go to your match right away and, and expect to do very well. Um, that's kind of destroyed that process. But if you're able to weigh in the day before cutting weight, man, it's just, it's just not a fun part of the tournament. So I weight loss. That's great. If you want to pick up your fitness level, uh, that's, that's awesome. Do that. But if you, if you focus more on your training and that's the bigger thing and it should be an enjoyable process, it should be hard and you should push yourself, but, uh, keep it enjoyable. If you're not carrying a lot of extra weight uh, for your first tournament, it just seems like something you don't need to be adding stress to. Um, You're worried about enough things going into a tournament. You don't need it to be your first tournament, and a week out you're still seven or eight pounds over, and now you're all stressed about whether you're going to make it. Yeah, I remember going to a tournament uh, down in Dallas for Naga, and I remember weighing in, and I weighed in at 163, and uh, it was 160 to 69 or something like that. And I just remember the people uh, going, oh, hey, uh, you know, you got a couple more hours to cut to get down to 59. I was like, nope, not a chance. I'm right here. <laughs> and they're looking at me like I'm crazy. They're like, well, do you know the, the category is 60 to 69? I was like, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I just, uh, yeah, wherever I came, I was happy. That's funny. There's a, there's a lot of good advice on this article. Um, towards the end of it, 
she has random tips. And uh, it's kind of like, bring more water than you think. You know, pack in layers, bring snacks, uh, bring an extra ghee. You don't know if your ghee will actually pass inspection. Sometimes tournaments are a little more picky about what type of ghee you're going to wear. And others, maybe your ghee will get ripped in one uh, match and you'll need a spare ghee. Maybe your opponent, your uh, not opponent, maybe your teammate needs a ghee. Headphones is a big ones. You can listen to music or a podcast while you're waiting and kind of help uh, calm your nerves. A lot good of plug, good Byron. information. Huh? Good plug for... Good plug for the podcast. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, we do have a podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The BJJ Brick Podcast. Uh, go down to wherever you get podcasts and uh, subscribe or like or whatever you do. We appreciate it. Yeah, you, you know, know I'm, breezing, I'm breezing through the article here, so maybe it was mentioned. But one thing I would add for sure, if you're traveling for a tournament, make sure and allow plenty of time. Make sure you know where the venue's at. Um, you know, make sure you, you get there ready to go and not all stressed. Not arguing with your wife or whoever you're traveling with. (laughs) (laughs) Not saying I've been there before. (laughs) Getting a massive Uh, argument about the proper ways to defend a rear naked choke right before the tournament, you know, then your wife's mad at you. You should have listened to her anyway. No, no, usually it's like, why didn't you tell me I was supposed to take that exit? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I go through the same thing. Um, (laughs) Hey, one thing we didn't mention that is in here, though, that I think is very, very important, uh, you know, know the rules. Um, Normally, they'll have a rules meeting. Uh, You can look online and they'll have the rules most of the time. But uh, but especially today with, uh, you know, leg locks becoming so so much more popular, you know, know exactly what you can do in your division, uh, in your age group, uh, in your belt group, your your intermediate, advanced, or pro category, whatever you're at. So definitely uh, know the rules. And uh, uh, the the author tells about, uh, you know, when she competed in the European Championships last year, and um, she, whatever, she ended up uh, uh, wrist-locking somebody, and somebody got kind of mad about it, and uh, turned out to be that it was legal. Uh, the other girl thought it was, you know, illegal. So definitely uh, know what the rules are, what submissions are legal, and uh, that way you'll have a better chance of, uh, you know, doing the best you can. Yeah, I saw a guy got disqualified one time for breaking rules after the match was over. He, it was part of the celebration. The rules said you couldn't leave the mat area or something. I don't remember the details, but I remember that he won the match but then got disqualified uh, for being out out of bounds of the rules, so you definitely don't want something like that to happen to you. Yeah, and another big thing too, especially if you're competing, a lot of times in your first competition, it's probably a more local tournament. You know, try to find some of your own teammates are going. Um, you know, it's easier to go in a group, and it'll you know have somebody to you know talk to between uh, while you're waiting, and uh, you know just uh, somebody to help calm your nerves too. I think that's another good uh, uh, point that she, um, was brought up. Yep, great article. Looks like a good website. I'm going to spend a little more time there looking around. So go check out uh, Coach's Killer. And uh, check out this article and any other content they might have on there. Yeah, and it's a good article if you've been competing and you're used to it. It's a good article to share with your teammates who are new. Uh, just a good resource because if you could tell your teammates, give them some advice, but inevitably you'll forget some things. And this has got it all kind of laid out there for everybody to check out. Gentlemen. Gentlemen? Who are you talking who you to? Talk, who are you talking to? <laughs> Gentlemen. Uh, we forgot to do the uh, off-the-mat lesson, and I have kind of a doozy here. How awesome. Looking forward to it. <laughs> uh, we're always ready for doozies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This this happened years ago, 
and I I was uh, working at the fire station, and we get a call for a chemical leak, which is not the type of thing that really brings a smile to my face. And it was actually at a large manufacturing facility. I say large, think of a Walmart with another Walmart stacked on top of it. So like a big, pretty big building. And we get there, we get some of the employees to get out of the building, and, and they say it's empty. And, and the, actually, the last guy to leave ended up going to the hospital with life-threatening condition. He, he got a good dose, and it was anhydrous ammonia. And then we kind of got pushed out of the air. We were in because the wind changed, and we had to get out of there, and our eyes were burning, and, and just like super uncomfortable. We, we got our gear on, and I guess we had our gear on, but we didn't have our mask on at the time. We, we fully masked up, and we were going to do a search of the building. And we got teamed up with our hazmat team, who had a, a gas air gas monitor. And so it was going to kind of smell the air force, because we have our, our mask on. And this air, the area was um, IDLH, which means immediately deadly to uh, life and health. And so if you breathe it, you're dead. But since we have our, our air packs on and we're covered with our gear, we're going to be okay. And I'm talking to the, one of the hazmat guys about what this is going to be like. He goes, well, eventually it's going to seep through our gear and it's going to start to burn anywhere you're sweating. So we want to be pretty quick at this. <laughs> so they got their, their gas monitor and there's I think there's about five of us that, on this little search team. And we go in and we're searching the, the building. It's a big manufacturing facility and looking for people and maybe somebody's laying down or hurt or whatever. Uh, we spend about 10 minutes in there. We get out. We didn't find anybody. It's a good deal. Uh, but what, what happened was their gas bonder showed it was good the entire time. And we get out of there, and, yeah, we're uncomfortable. We're, we're burning up a bit. And the gas monitor was not working. And actually, we were in a, a very dangerous situation where it the explosive limit was passed. So if, if something... Uh, like like natural gas or propane is leaking, there's a lower explosive limit where it mixes with oxygen or with the air, and it'll explode. And then after a while, it becomes too rich, as in there's not enough oxygen for it to explode, and it can't explode because there's just too much of it. And that's what had happened. There was so much of this anhydrous ammonia in this building that it could not explode. So we were walking around, and the gas meter saying, "Good to go." <laughs> and but of course, that also means that without your uh, SCBAs on, you could not breathe. We'd be dead immediately. Yeah, we we yeah. knew it was a we we knew it was in that stage, but we didn't know that if a little bit more oxygen was in the room, we we could explode with any of these machines kicking on, and we would all just have exploded. That's kind of the the thing. So it was like, "Whoo, that was close," <laughs> uh, but. You know, look, taking this back onto the mat and looking at what could happen or, or what's going on, because that doesn't do, have anything to do with jujitsu. But the the monitor was a fail. Having one monitor to judge the condition, it's kind of like having uh, a, a training partner or a small group of people that does the same thing. And let's say nobody does daily heave a guard where you train. You're having a great time rolling. You're doing great. You're learning. You're doing fantastic. And because your monitor doesn't show that or is not registering, your training partners aren't presenting you with that, you you got to have a problem, and you don't even realize it. And until somebody tears you apart with a daily HEVA card, oh, man, what is this? What is he doing with his outside look and you know, messing up your whole game and sweeping you pretty easily or taking your back or whatever he wants to do? Just the idea that the more ways you could check your own system with uh, different teammates or opponents or just getting some different looks at things has a big value. 
And if we would have had two monitors, one of them would have been freaking out, and the other one would have been quiet, failing. And it would, it's a good backup. But just also, training with a variety of people is a huge deal. Does that make sense, gentlemen? <laughs> well, to keep, keeping it off the mat, I've got to wonder about your uh, testing procedures for your equipment. But uh, <laughs> yeah, on, on the mat, yeah, I, it took me a while, Byron. Actually, I was wondering where you were going with that. But uh, once you wrapped it all up, it did make a lot of sense. Um, really, I think that's the value to visiting other open mats, to going to tournaments. Um, you could say those are sort of your double checks. And I, I totally agree with that. I, a hole in my game personally is my footlock game. I don't play it much, um, which means I don't have the ability to really footlock people very well. But also when I get put in a compromised position where they have access to my feet, I'm not very good at defending it. So I'm going to say, you know, that in order for me to keep my meter working, I've got to expose myself to people that like to play that game and at least be proficient in it. It'll happen on June 23rd and 24th with Gary. I know. <laughs> I know. I've been, I'm prepping for Gary. I'll be ready for you, Gary. I got a couple. Uh, don't, I, I just roll for fun. So yeah, that's true. But yeah. It's always good to keep your meter working. You know, we definitely, uh, <laughs> you know, want to make sure it's pointing in the right direction. I don't even know what that means, but it sounded funny. Okay. You keep your your meter going the right direction. We're doing that with our health. That's true. It just it was a healthy process. It should be. You should be eating correctly off the mat. You should be training hard on the mat, good fitness. And that's why we were able to get sponsored by Health IQ, the life insurance company that recognizes uh, healthy lifestyles, whether it be vegetarian or just different fitness uh, levels, and they reward their uh, customers with really amazing rates with life insurance. And yes, you need life insurance to help protect your family in case something bad happens to you. Uh, but why not pay uh, a very competitive price uh, based on your fitness level? That's awesome. So there'll be a link in the show notes. They have a quiz you take and see if you qualify and, uh, and you'd learn more about it there. We can't obviously get in all the details, but uh, you could save a ton of money. Do the little quiz, see how healthy you are, and see how what kind of low rates you can get. You know what I like about the quizzes is, you know, I took their their basic quiz and scored really high on that. And then I guess as you get farther down the process, depending on what sport you do, they have a sport-specific quiz, um, you know, to kind of make sure that you, you're really telling the truth and to get the, the special rates. But for some reason, as I was navigating around their website, I took the running quiz. Man, you really need to know about running. And I mean, really in depth about running to pass that quiz. I, I took like the first 10 questions and had basically guessed on every one of them. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so I, I thought it was pretty cool. You really do need an in-depth knowledge to uh, do well on their sport-specific quizzes, which, uh, you know, then translates into you really know that sport, which uh, they're going to reward you with uh, better rates. You know, and just a little something about the company in general, and I'm not getting paid to say this. The show's getting a little bit of money. We're not getting rich off it. I'm not getting anything to promote them. And I'll tell you, I was pretty impressed with their – customer service slash customer relations. I went on, I took a little quiz and leading up to the quiz, they ask if you'd like to enter, enter some personal information. You know, I entered my phone number and um, some other information and I'm taking the quiz and I get a call from them 
and I'm like, it's interesting you call me. I said, I'm not, I'm not really looking for life insurance. I said, I, uh, am a regular on a podcast and we're going to do some promotions for you. And I, I just got a regular salesman. He's calling me. He's not part of their, uh, promotion group or anything. And so he didn't know anything about it. But I said, while well, I got you on the line, why don't you tell me a little bit about your product? And the guy was very helpful, very informative. And, uh, you know, I didn't feel like he was trying to sell me anything. He wasn't doing a hard sell, wasn't doing a big push. And so from my limited interaction with him, I, I'm pretty impressed with the group. The way that they're uh, treating their customers and their employees, uh, everything looks awesome. So we've joked about before working for them as far as at their facilities and, and working for the uh, health IQ team that be, being kind of a, a healthy lifestyle that they're all living. Uh, we mentioned briefly about Patreon. Uh, just want to tell you that if you want to support us, Patreon, that we have a link in the show notes. You get a free gee patch, a sticker, and you get to join our private Facebook group where a lot of times if we're interviewing somebody, we'll ask you, hey, what do we, what do we want to ask this person? The interview's coming up and it gets a little bit more input to, uh, to the show. And also a direct line to us if you need to get a hold of us. So you can do that. Anybody can do that. BJJBrick at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook and you can message us there as well. Yep, and we always say tell a friend. Um, a few months ago, Byron started posting small clips from each interview. He'll post several a week. Man, that's a great way to tell a friend. Copy and paste and, and text them one of those clips or share it on Facebook and that way they'll find out about the show and uh, information will be spread throughout the Jiu-Jitsu community. There you go. Tell a friend you like, not the ones you secretly uh, dislike, not those friends, because they'll get better at jiu-jitsu, and you want to have your friends get better at jiu-jitsu. Yeah, but Byron, if the people you don't like get better at jiu-jitsu, as they get better, you're going to get better. So spread the word to your enemies, too, and that way we'll all get better at jiu-jitsu together. Quarter of the week next rise, week. Keep your friends close and your tide. enemies closer. Yep. And or remember, what was that? A rising, <laughs> a rising tide lifts all boats. <laughs> A penny saved is a penny earned. Uh, better luck next time. <laughs> the quote's got uh, worse as the t- <laughs> a penny saved. <laughs> That's uh, and that brings us really to uh, Gary and Joe's audio book. A penny saved is a penny earned. I'll show you all I know about Jitsu for just a penny. And uh, this is, man, I think you guys are going really wide with this strategy as far as selling the book to as many people as you can. But you're really uh, teaching the masses about jiu-jitsu just for a penny apiece. It's weird that you focus more on the price of the book than the actual content in the book. But once they get in there, what are they going to learn about? And how does this have to do with anything with pennies? Well, we actually have no content. That's what the key is. That's why we're selling it for so cheap. We just want to get the penny. And we figure a lot of people with that cheap price will donate a penny you know, to send to us. So... Uh, we're getting rich, and we didn't have to do anything with it. Yeah, you know, and if you charge somebody five bucks, and they get an empty book with nothing in it, they're going to want the five bucks back. But if you only charge them a penny, nobody's going to fight over that. So, I mean, it's it's free money, man. Yeah, yeah but- and the good, th- the good thing is, Joe and I are a little bit older, so we're not very tough anymore. And we don't want to fight these people who are trying to get <laughs> their five bucks back. So, I mean, the good thing is, it's left, it's, it's not even raising our blood pressure. We're just getting pennies every day, and we're putting them in the bank, and, you know, as like Joe's got tattooed on his back, a penny saved is a penny earned. I mean, we're making money. <laughs> <laughs> where where on your back is this located, Joe? Oh, it's up by your shoulder blade. Okay. I didn't know yeah. if it would be it's lower It's not down. a tramp stamp. No, not a tramp stamp. 
Which there is a lot somebody, of good clockwork so, out there. Somebody's going to wonder how Gary knows what I have tattooed <laughs> on my back. Trust me, it's too related. <laughs> well, look at all the stories Byron's been telling about us uh, before the show starts. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Next week, uh, Joe and Gary just got done giving matching tattoos. Man, that's way funnier than the one I used today. Dang it, pottery? Who does pottery? That's lame. Matching tattoos. Well, so that's cool. Yeah. Man. Well, I will. That could be a good group activity, though, when we have a yeah. BJJ break uh, <laughs> event. <laughs> well, I will tell you this: I spent Monday basically stuffing bears, teddy bears, filling the teddy bears up with stuffing, put them in a bag, and uh, giving them to the police department, who uh, gives them to kids when they they make a call. So, uh, you know, you ask about who does pottery, and it doesn't sound fun, but. Somebody would have told me the same thing about stuffing bears, but I had a blast stuffing bears. So uh, uh, pottery would probably be fun there also, Byron. <laughs> oh, Gary, you're, you, have, you have a big heart, and you're always helping uh, kids that need it. And, and usually if a police officer is talking to a kid, they're at least having a rough day, probably uh, have just a rough everything at that point. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. It, teddy bear could be helpful. Know, yeah, I mean, but even for myself, it was so relaxing. It sounded like something I would never do. It was very relaxing. It, it was fun. But then on top of it, you know, it's going to help some little kid in a stressful situation. And, uh, you know, the one thing I messed up, though, is you actually got to make birth certificates for every one of these. And, and I did not name one Byron or Joe. I should have thought about it. Well, that kind of hurts. Yeah. Uh. Well, I think I was going to mention about your audio book. It, it seems like we're going to have to shut it down. The transaction costs are $0.40 cents a piece. People are buying these for a penny, and it's costing you $0.39 cents, uh, to give them the book. No, so, no, Joe and I are getting the penny. The $0.39 cents is coming out of the BJJ Brick account, which is under your name. So we're in good shape. Well played. <laughs> and keep in mind, when, when Gary and I share our jiu-jitsu knowledge, at the end of the day... We tell people, we've taught you all you need. We've taught you all you know about jujitsu, but we didn't teach you everything we know about jujitsu. Yeah, so, I mean, we did everything legal. There you go. <laughs> we researched it for probably a good five minutes. Well, you did. I, I was just going off your knowledge. Yeah, but I, I have cataracts. I can't see too well. <laughs> oh, Gary, how are you going to cure that? But uh, next week, we have a great episode. Lachlan Giles is on the show. Man, I'm super excited. Uh, already done the interview with him. Uh, it was outstanding. Really great explaining concepts. He he explained a concept over the idea of, of learning jiu-jitsu, and he used the framework of uh, learning takedowns. And it was like, man, there's so much better way I can learn these takedowns and then take that to other parts of my game. It, it is really uh, no wonder why they're doing so great out of his gym as far as on the competitive scene. Well, when I heard he was going to be in the show, I had told Byron I had watched a Kimura series from him, and it was probably the m most unique in-depth, or I don't know about in-depth, but it, it was unique. He really explained everything incredible. It's something I've never seen before. And uh, when Byron told me he's going to be on, I was like, oh, this is going to be incredible. Uh, so uh, I, I, I'm really, really excited for next week. Nice. I just uh, copied and pasted his name into YouTube. So when we're done here recording, I'm going to do a little study and, and learn a little something. Yeah, the, he's the uh, 
coach of uh, Kit Dale and Craig Jones. So if that tells you anything as far as people he's helping get better jiu-jitsu, uh, phenomenal uh, athletes coming out of there. And, and he's also been to ADCC, competed there, and, and done very well. And uh, I don't know, amazing grappler, great coach. Uh, really happy to bring him to you guys next week. You know, the crazy thing is, like you say, he's the coach of Kit Dale and uh, Craig Jones. When Byron says, I'm the coach of Gary Hall, <laughs> nobody knows anything. Nobody, everybody just has a blank stare in their eye. And normally about one every five people, you know, the four people have blank stares in their eyes. And then one guy will be like, hey, isn't that the guy who ripped me off a penny? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Man, so I quit bragging about that because I keep having to pay people pennies and making change. Hey, as long as Joe and I get to keep it, that's all we care about. Oh, man. I've had fun this week, gentlemen. I have had fun also. It's been a blast, guys. Stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower. Train hard, train smart, get better. We'll see you on the mats, guys. See you next week. A penny saved is a penny earned. There you go. Gary always giving financial advice to help people save money. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Welcome back, my friends, to episode... Man, I... Okay. Welcome back. (laughs) 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 You guys are psyching me out. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the BJJ Brick Podcast. This is episode...